it feels good to feel good. <laughs> and I'm so grateful. Matthew chapter 14. We'll begin with verse 6. Matthew chapter 14, verse 6. But when Herod's birthday was kept, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleaded Herod, whereupon he promised with an oath to give her whatsoever she would ask. And she, being before instructed of her mother, this was a planned event. They knew what they were after. There was, this was an instruction of her mother. It was a seed planted, a word planted. This was premeditated murder. The young girl said, give me here John Baptist's head in a charger. And the king was sorry. Nevertheless, for the oath's sake, and them which sat with him at meat. So there's some pride here. <laughs> he commanded it to be given her, and he sent and beheaded John in the prison, John Baptist. And his head was brought in a charger and given to the damsel, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples, John's disciples, came and took up the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. And today I preach, kill the prophet. It's a dangerous title. Amen. And all the people said amen. Put your Bibles down behind you and we're just going to clap our hands unto the Lord as a praise offering to God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Just as a point of reference for all of us, your Bible has a distinct division in it. And that division was kept by the men who both wrote the scripture and then many years later, those who translated the scripture. It is correct to note that at the end of Malachi, as the corruption of the people had grown, and the darkness had covered their hearts that God no longer spoke. The introduction of the New Testament, though you might read a, a few pages prior to that, it actually begins with John's birth. And he was the human plank 
that bridged the Old and New Testaments together. He's a throwback. John Baptist was a throwback to an age a thousand years before him when the prophets looked at the people in the eye and when they exposed them for the lives that they lived. He was unafraid. He had no vested interest in them. If you read in your Bible, you'll find out that John grew up in the desert. The Bible actually says that that's where he grew up, in the desert. John the Baptist, or John Baptist as the Bible would declare, was fearless. The closest likeness to him comes in the form of Daniel, who, when the law turned against him, he defied the law of the land. Can you imagine this? He opened up his windows and prayed even louder so that they would not mistake his muffled tones in his home. What happens when the law of the land becomes contrary to the law of God? What are you going to do? It's already here. Not just Daniel, but perhaps also Jeremiah. There's few like John Baptist. We're not privy to the entirety of the many bold men and women who walked through Judea's hillside, but the few glimpses of John are enough. The Bible gives us a, a couple of moments of insight into the days leading up to John's birth, even. John was but six months older than his cousin, Jesus. And when Mary found out that her cousin Elizabeth was with child, well, here's the Bible, she arose and she went to the hill country with haste. She ran there. She, she went to the city of Judea. She went into the house of Zacharias and she greeted Elizabeth. And it came to pass in Luke 1.41 that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe, John, leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. You'll never find that again in the scripture. It's nothing less than a wonder to us, a mystery of heavenly proportions that no one can determine. Only to say that even before his birth, John was destined to be the forerunner of the Savior of Jesus Christ. And there was a recognition in their spirits. Before birth, the spirit of the baby was alive. <laughs> Take note. Jesus had yet to enter his public ministry when John was setting the stage for him. He was paving the way. He was setting up the people to receive baptisms, not ritual baths, not ceremonial cleansings, which they were accustomed to, but it was a message of repentance. The four centuries of silence was broken by the prophetic voice of this prophet, John Baptist. He came with a fire and a fervency. He called out the pious Pharisees. All of their posturing could not produce the attention of this voice crying to the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight, he said. Even Jesus said of John, he said to the people, what went ye out into the wilderness to see, Matthew 11? A reed Shaken with the wind? Would you go out to see a man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But would you go out there to see? Jesus asked three times. A prophet? Yes. 
And I say unto you more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written. Isaiah wrote this, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. John was a prophet by the word of a prophet. He was the messenger by the appointment of the divine. The Alpha and Omega stood at the ends of all time and called out the messenger with a message of baptism in the name of Jesus and a baptism of the Holy Ghost. So says Acts 19. And though it was not in his job description to reveal hidden sins, no, that wasn't. It was not in his duties to expose the political powers that be. John did not flinch at revealing the sinful activities of the aristocrats of his day. That's because real prophets are not really bothered to speak when there are sinful things happening. They are not worried about how the message makes people feel. They do not and will not make a determination of the effectiveness or the validity of their message based on the response of the people that hear it. They're not taking the pulse of the audience. We need to know this because the greatest majority of Pentecostals today are now enamored with how the word is presented. People will receive or reject truth based on how it's packaged. And preachers have learned in every denomination to pay careful attention to the reaction of the audience and then to adjust what their content is based upon what they see and hear. But not John. Herod killed his brother and married his sister-in-law. And John called him out. I think that the woke crowd coined their phrase, speaking truth to power, after they read John's confrontation with King Herod concerning his wife. Truth to power did not begin there. It began in the Bible. Yeah, you killed your brother, Philip, and you married Herodias, and that was wrong. (laughs) No one really ever speaks truth to power unless they risk having their head cut off. Here's the word. Matthew 14, for Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. For John said to him, it's not lawful for thee to have her. It's embarrassing. So Herod Antipas, this tetrarch, he would have killed John, but he could not afford an uprising. He was not as skilled as his father Herod the Great, not as suave as his brother Archelaus. So he had to negotiate with the truth even though he hated the fact. But Herodias, his newfound wife, was not so forgiving. She made plans to kill John and after a long late night drinking party in front of all of his friends and vain dignitaries, when temptation was high and inhibitions were low, she trapped Herod into killing John by cutting off his head. Even still, Herod's fear of John became evident years later when he thought that perhaps Jesus was John come back from the dead. Herod said that John the Baptist was risen from the dead and that is why miraculous powers are at work with him. Yet, at the commandment of the king, a request by, a, by the scene of vulgarity, 
John's head was presented on a silver charger before them all. No longer would John expose the ill-conceived deeds of the king. No longer would Philip's death be held in question or the authority of the palace be set at bay. John the prophet, the messenger, was dead and his voice was silenced. Except, here I am, 2,000 years later, preaching about the actions of Herodias and I'm only one of a million who have done the same. She did not get her way. Because you can kill the messenger, but you'll never kill the message. (laughs) She thought that by killing John, she could bury her actions. The head is the location of the mouth, and when the mouth is gone, there are no more words to speak with just that individual. She despised the message, so she killed the prophet. But as we come to find out, and as we keep finding out, the messenger can be killed, but the message is always greater than the messenger, and it will never, ever die. There's a long line of people who have thought the same thing. Truth is a settled thing, ladies and gentlemen. It has life. It breathes. It lives. It flourishes. It cannot be cut off and it cannot be buried. The one who speaks it might be snuffed out, put down, or torn apart. But the truth is like the flowing of a mighty river and it will find a way. The Bible is witness to the massacre of multiple and many prophets by the hands of the people. Jezebel was notorious in killing the prophets of the Lord. And a servant once said to Elijah, and I quote in 1 Kings 18, Was it not told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel slew the prophets of the Lord, how I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water? She slew the prophets of the Lord. The reality of her bloodthirsty disposition was the reason why Elijah ran for the cave. Real men, good and godly men, fell at her hand. And Jezebel was not the only one to kill the prophets. The people of Israel did the same thing. In, in many eras, over many eras, here's Nehemiah. I'll just I'll pull out Nehemiah. Speaking of the children of Israel, and I quote from Nehemiah 9. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against thee and thy law behind their backs and slew thy prophets which testified against them to turn to thee and they wrought great provocations great provocations meant despicable blasphemes immoral acts that were clearly against God's law and the prophets stood up and called them out and they reminded them of the holy God and his law but they cast it behind their backs and they ignored it and acted like it didn't matter how they lived they hated the message They loved their captured cities. They loved the things that God had given them. They had found success even over the fortified cities. The Bible says that the people, and I quote, took possessions of houses filled with all kinds of good things, wells already dug, vineyards, olive groves, fruit trees in abundance. They ate to the full and were well nourished. They reveled in your great goodness, but their hearts turned against God. And when the prophets came and the preachers preached, they preached that pleasures and possessions did not make them greater than the commandment of a holy God. So the people rose up and killed them that spoke. Are you getting this, ladies and gentlemen? Pleasures and possessions are never greater than living a holy life. I don't care how much you have. Your possessions will never make you holy. And your pleasures will never satisfy the depths of your soul. 
I don't care how much success you have. It'll never satisfy your eternal soul. You've got to have a holy life to satisfy your eternal soul. Yes, a mother once told me about her son years and years ago, how he graduated with a degree. She was so proud. He's got a good job, she said. He bought a new car, in fact. She's so happy. But, but I, I looked at her and I realized, but he's living an unholy life. So it's not greater the degree and the job and the car. It's not greater than an unholy life. So instead of rejoicing that your kid had a lot of money and he did good, you should be weeping that he's not living a holy life. I don't want you to be poor. I, I hope you have a few things. I want you to enjoy the days that the Lord has given you. But none of that matters if you turn your back on the message and put it behind you and you live an unholy life. It will not matter. It's not going to matter. Can you hear this? Do not turn your back on the law of the Lord. Kill the prophet if you must. If it makes you feel better, but you better embrace the truth. You better not give up the truth. You can kill the prophet, but don't, don't give up the message of the prophet. Jesus himself exposed the city and he said in Matthew 23, Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you. History is filled with a long line of prophet killers, preacher killers, teacher killers. But what they could not kill was the word of God or the message. They couldn't kill the scripture. That's right. They hung Peter upside down on a cross. They boiled John in oil. They ran James through with a sword and watched him bleed out in the middle of the street. They picked up stones and with gnashing teeth they ran towards Stephen and they threw stones at him until they ruptured his internal organs. They cut off the head of Paul, but they could not stop the message. So before you think that besmirching and imperfect prophet, which is easy to do, just know this, it's not going to change the truth. It's not going to absolve you from living a life according to the scripture because the message of the gospel and the Godhead and a holy lifestyle has always been greater than the one delivering it. Mm -hmm. Somebody ought to clap their hands unto the Lord because you know that's right. I wish you would. Now on a small side note, I would like to live if you'll let me. It'd be nice to live. But you can kill the messenger all day long, but in the end, you won't be judged by the presentation of the messenger. You're not going to be judged by the presentation of the messenger. Don't get all worked up about the presentation of the messenger. Why don't you get in the book and find out, here young men, here young, young adults, here me young married couples, Hear me, Grandma and Grandpa, hear this. Revelation 20 and 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. Small and great. And the books were open. That's this. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. That's right. I know a host of backsliders who try to dilute the value of the scripture. Hear this, by the behavior of the speaker. Careful. No one's going to measure up to the holy word of God. You can't devalue this 
by the behavior of the person delivering it, and I'm, I'm not giving latitude or permission up to the preacher or the prophet. I'm not giving them a pass. Anyone who delivers the word better take notice. James said, my brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we should receive the greater condemnation. That word master means instructor or teacher. So there is no pass for the instructor, but the message of the word is not contingent on the validity, the the cogency, or the believability of the prophet. Kill him, denounce him, take his legs out from underneath him. But don't ever leave the scripture. I know a couple of churches that have stopped giving in their tithes and offerings. Pastors have told me this. They were trying to starve him out. And the pastor might have went hungry for a few days, but it didn't change the message. Go ahead, kill him. Kill the prophet. Kill the messenger. Kill the teacher. Kill your instructor. Denounce it. But you're still going to be accountable to the word that was spoken. The Holy Spirit, I believe, is leading us here today. Do not convolute the theatrics of a preacher with the soundness of the doctrine. Because the theatrics of the preacher might be profound. He might be charismatic. She might be enamoring. But that doesn't mean they are preaching sound doctrine. Antics don't make sound doctrine. Neither does a poor presentation make the doctrine invalid. It's still about the word of God. And this is the thing that's going to save you. So when people say to me, oh, what should I do? The man that baptized me, he backslid. Should I get rebaptized again? No. That's why Paul said, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you. You were not baptized in my name, and there's no intrinsic value or holiness in my hands. But you were baptized in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Your faith is not in the one who put you down. Your faith is the one who brought you out. I wish I had a little help today. We're gonna you can kill the prophet, but don't kill the message. I know people that have given up on the truth because they did not like their preacher. Fine, okay, fine, fine. Kill that preacher. Chop his head off. Didn't change the message. Because the Bible says all scripture is God breathed. Thy word is a lamp and a light. The Bible says every word of God is true. The Bible says the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. How about Jonah? I wish some of you had a preacher like Jonah. He was unlikely prophet. He had a single sentence sermon. He did not like his audience. He was not happy that they obeyed the sermon. (laughs) Noah preached repentance. And they believed. And the people were forgiven. And his message was the key to their survival. Not the preacher who delivered it. I want to go to a church where the preachers, he, he, he's suave, he's good. You ought to go to a place that preaches the truth. Even if you don't like the prophet, love the message.
Mm-hmm. Acts 5.29, Peter and the other apostles, they said, oh, we, ought to obey, we ought to obey God rather than men. We, we, we have to obey God. So, so they, they had put him into prison. They beat them. They brought them out to stand trial. The high priest rose up, all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees. They were all filled with indignation, the Bible says. All these high council of Pharisees, Sadducees, all of them, all these religious men, the high priest of their day, the, the temple priest. But they weren't threatened by Peter and John or the other apostles. They didn't threaten them. The Pharisees and Sadducees cared nothing about these preaching fishermen. They considered them, in fact, ignorant and unlearned men. What bothered them was the message. They did not want the name of Jesus preached anywhere at any time. It was an offense to them. In fact, they once said, did we not straightly command you not to preach or teach in his name? But now you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. Because, huh, to the Pharisees, the name of Jesus was the doctrine. Are you hearing this? The name of Jesus was the doctrine. They'd already killed Another false teacher named Judas the Galilean, he scattered, they scattered his 400 followers, but this Jesus doctrine was the real threat. It took Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, who had a good reputation to put the moment into perspective, Gamaliel. He said, if this preaching is a man-made message, it will die on its own, Acts 5.38. So just let him alone. For if this is a counselor, if this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, he said... You can't overthrow it, lest happily be found even a fight against God. If the message is real, and you're fighting the message, you're fighting God. And I need to tell you about the message today. I don't want to tell you about me, because I'm flawed. But I want to tell you about the message. It's an unadulterated message. It's the Acts 2.38 message. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. His death is found in my repentance. His burial is found in my water baptism. His name is applied when they say the name of Jesus over me. His resurrection power over the grave and a new law is written in my heart when he fills me with his Holy Ghost and I speak with other tongues as Jesus said it would happen in Matthew and Mark chapter 16. I need to tell you about the message today. It's about a holiness standard or a way of living. Peter called us a royal priesthood. A, he called you a chosen generation. Set apart so that we could showcase the praises of God who called us out of darkness into this marvelous light. You are a book read of everybody. You're a walking article. Like a newspaper clipping. People are reading our lives. That's why we're supposed to be set apart. It's about living that holy life. Reading your Bible. Which means not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. You kind of think differently. So you can prove what's acceptable to God. Reading your Bible is the message. It transcends even the most profound orator. It reaches higher than the boastful wordsmith and it boasts of wonders far past the comprehension of the doctorate scholar. It's the word of God. I live in reality, so I'll just apologize today. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for all the children that become young people, that become young adults, and then have their own families. I'm sorry. If your parents taught you the right way, but did not live up to their own instruction. I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. If you grew up in a home 
when they said one thing they did another. I'm sorry if they brought you to church and talked to you about spiritual disciplines and holiness and godliness, but they had their own not-so-private addictions and failings. I'm sorry about that. But don't hold the Bible hostage because you had a poor example. It's still the truth. Daddy might have said it right and did it wrong, but what he said, if it's in the Bible, it's still the truth. You can kill the messenger if you want. You can kill the prophet if you want, but, but hold on to what was right. Don't let go what's right. What's true is going to save you. And there's a lot of people that did not live up to their own message. A lot of prophets that prophesied and they didn't do what they should have done. But if they said it was God and it was in the scripture, it was right. Can I just tell you, godliness never goes out of style. Praise and prayer is always in order. And if your mama is given to cussing on Saturday... And singing on Sunday. <laughs> Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Just gravitate to the song on Sunday. And know that the song is right and the lyrics are right. And you just put the bad words behind you because you know I got to be saved. I can love her, but I'm not following that way. I'm following the word of God. Ah. <laughs> I want to preach a little bit here because some of you are com- you you are you you are confusing God's goodness to the temperament of the people who are angry at God. So if you need to kill the messenger, kill the kill it, but don't give up on God. Oh my! Anointed prophets. This is your Bible. Anointed high priest, anointed kings, all failed. But it did not alter the commandment of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Samuel and Eli both failed to guide their sons in the ministry. Eli's sons were well known. They were horrible young men. Samuel's sons were not well known, but they were so bad that they could not fill the seat of their father, and the people asked for a king. David had an affair, and he committed murder. Saul prophesied once with young prophets, but then built a monument to himself, and he lost his monarchy. Moses killed a man in cold blood. Peter denied the Lord. He took a solemn oath that he had never had any association with the Lord. Yet the mission and the kingdom never lost a step. And the reason why is because this mission is bigger than all of us. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than all the hypocrites. What concerns me is that people get in, have an offense with something that happens in the church. And the first thing they do is they leave the church and they leave the message. So they want to kill off the church. Fine. But at least go to another place that preaches the message. Because if you killed off the message, you have nothing left. Uh, now you can kill the prophet all you want, but the Bible is non-negotiable. See, the Bible is more profound than personalities. 
It's more pure than any lifestyle of those who deliver it. No one is good enough to preach the word. <laughs> oh, that bothers you, doesn't it? Is that bothering you? Nobody is good. And now, of course, I wake up with breath of angels, spearmint breath. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. No one is holy enough to measure up to the word. We're just striving to measure up to the word. Even Paul said, I press for the mark, for the prize of the high call. I'm pressing. I'm groping. I'm looking. I, I put everything behind me. I'm pressing for the mark, for the prize of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So if you can point out a million flaws in everyone who preaches that there is only one God and his name is Jesus... It won't change the fact that there's only one God and his name is Jesus. <laughs> oh, man. Kill the prophet. It's been done a thousand times before you arrive. You're not the first one to kill the prophet. Dismiss him because he's not a good orator or you don't appreciate his analogies or you say he has limited adjectives. Everything's big and awesome, big and awesome. <laughs> Kill him off if you don't think he's a nice guy. Just not nice, not friendly. The guy's not friendly. How can I listen to a man who's not friendly? Who wants to go to a church where the pastor's not friendly? Yeah, he preaches the truth, but he's not friendly. Ooh, better put that in perspective. Because you can have a nice, friendly man who hugs you. He'll lead you down the path of hell. This is, what, this, this is, the, this is the, the mind-numbing thought that I have. People are gravitating towards someone that they appreciate and that they like and that they, they connect with, but they don't even connect with the right thing. You can connect with a person because of their personality, but if they don't have the truth, it doesn't matter. when you stand before God and you're judged before the books, you can't say, well, I like my preacher and the Lord's going to say, but he didn't preach the gospel. I just can't go to that church because I just don't like some of the people there. Well, get over it. Get over it. How about learning how to be like Jesus Christ? can you say that you're all going to the same heaven but you can't go to the same church we'll work it out when we get to heaven no you won't because you ain't getting where you think you're going because he didn't wait he's not waiting for you to work it out there you gotta work it out here Well, I, I just rather, you know, you know, the people in another, another, that, that other folks, they're so nice over there. They're so kind over there. They, 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 there's no problems over there. They're, it's okay over there. Don't you know sometimes you have to grind it out to love the truth? Because you can be accepted anywhere, but that doesn't mean you're going to be accepted by the Lord. He's going to look at you and say, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye worker of iniquity. Uh-oh. How we doing? You ready to kill the prophet? I'd like to live, but if you need to kill the prophet, love the message. Embrace the word. Don't ever give up on the church. Don't ever give up on the word of God. Don't ever give up on your praise. Don't ever give up on your prayer. Don't ever give up on holiness and godliness in the name of Jesus. Don't ever stop speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. And some, some people have 
have have have killed the prophet because they didn't they didn't think that 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 he was a good manager. He didn't have a good vision. In fact, I've heard some folks criticize the man because he wasn't a very good organizer. In my youth, I remember a friend of my dad saying that that a man he wasn't a he wasn't a very fiery preacher, and people really didn't didn't like him because he didn't have a lot of fire. Of course, I've heard the other side too. People say, "Well, I can't go to these screams all the time." <laughs> some folks killed him because they didn't like his dirty car. Clothes don't match. Tired of looking at their preacher wearing double knit polyester suits all the time. Always out of style, out of fashion. So kill him if you must, but I'm just going to tell you, the most important thing is not how he looks or what he drives or if his tie and his clothes match. The most important thing is that you're hearing the word of God, that's truth that's going to save you and get you into eternity in heaven. That's the most important thing. In fact, compared to that, everything else is nothing. You ought to weather through long sermons and and boring Bible studies before you give up for something a little flash in the pan and a feel-good moment. It'd be better for you to, to, to go somewhere where you really didn't even have a friend. Here's the message. I want to offer it to all those who once upon a time had a Pentecostal church but now they've outlawed the very thing that gave them authority 1 Thessalonians 5 19 and 20 quench not the spirit despise not prophesying I'll tell you what if you want a real church we gotta, we gotta have a Holy Ghost move of God in this house it's not going to happen because we got a good praise team and we got a good music department that's praying. It's going to happen because you came in here and you wanted a move of God and you decided to open up your mouth and begin to shout praises to the Most High God. I'll tell you how we're going to have prophesying because we welcomed it and said, just come on. I got to hear the word of the Lord. I got to hear a word from God. Paul wasn't done. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 39. Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy. Desire to covet to prophesy. And forbid not to speak with tongues. And so all those once upon a time Pentecostal churches that now they don't want any preaching and they don't want anybody speaking in tongues, they've lost their power and they disobeyed the word. But they got fancy preachers. And they got nice lights and they got smoke machines and they got guitars and they got programs and dramas and they got, they got cafe mocha in the, in, the, in the foyer. And they got friendliness and everybody wears a badge. You get a flower and a gift card to Walmart when you walk out. We need to start doing that. Well, why aren't we doing that? Uh-huh. But they got no power because they told everybody stop speaking in tongues and we're not going to have that kind of preaching in here because it invades our space. <laughs> Let me tell you, we are Pentecostals by experience. You better exercise the experience. I, I, I'd like for every father 
that has children grown or young to listen to what I'm about to say. And, and every mother that has children, young and old, I want you to listen to what to say. It's incumbent upon you to act like you're a Pentecostal filled with the Holy Ghost, at least when you get in the house of God. When you walk in here, you should be dancing, jumping, shouting, clapping. You should be speaking in tongues and waving your arms. If your form of worship is tears, you should be crying every service. Because what you're doing is you're raising up children who don't have the experience because you didn't lead them into the experience. Now, you might have had a few bad moments and bad experiences, but you do know you have the Pentecostal experience. So if people have offered you bad experiences, do not quench the Holy Spirit. When was the last time you spoke in tongues, shouted and prayed at the altar? Well, I, I, don't, I just don't do that. You know, I'm just not an outgoing person. Well, then consider your sons and daughters dead in God. Consider them lost because they're not doing anything that you didn't show them. And they're doing everything that you taught them to do. Every seat in this church has a back on it. That's the place where you rest your arm. But when the spirit moves, (sighs) that might even be time to stop holding hands and start clapping hands. Uh Uh-oh. All right. Go ahead. Kill, Kill the prophet. Just kill him. But it's true. This is true. If the prophet does not live up to the outpouring, don't quench the spirit. Both men and women, they've misused gifts, but that doesn't nullify the gift. People have walked around, had a word of wisdom. That wasn't a word of wisdom. They were just wanting to show off. But there is a word of wisdom, and it's real, and it's true. Don't despise the word of wisdom. There's a word of knowledge, and it's true. People have misused prophecies and lied. They made up their own stuff. But that doesn't mean there's not a word of prophecy. It's true. There is a word of prophecy. And not everybody is real when they go to pray for someone. And then they proclaim that they're healing. But there are gifts of healing. There are gifts of healing. And it's a supernatural power. So I'm not sure about that person or that person. But I know the Lord is real. And I know that he can heal. And I know that he can deliver. And I'm going to rise up and pray it again. I'm almost there. Um, the, uh, thank you, Elder. I'm, I'm, I'm on a roll. It's, it feels good to feel good right now. I'm feeling good. I wish everybody just clapped their hands unto the Lord because we're all feeling good. We're going to love the message. Come on, we're going to love the message. We're going to love the word. We're not, come on, brother. You're not giving up on the word. Come on, ladies. We're not giving up on the word. He's bigger than us. He's bigger than us. He's greater than us. Here's the problem. We equate the human voice with the immutable God. If I equated the human voice with the immutable God and I put him on the same level... I'd have quit a long time ago. I never would have made it out of my teenage years. I wouldn't have made it out of my teenage years because I knew a minister. He was not right. 
he was not right. He did everything that was against the word of God. It was not right. I knew a minister when I was 20 years old. He was not right. I started to develop a bitter thing in my heart because I knew he was a liar. I knew he was accused of the brethren. I knew he was a, he was a talebearer. His feet were swift to spread mischief. If I'd equated God with him, I'd have quit up on God. I quit on God a long time ago. But something led me past him, and I knew he may not be telling the truth by his own living. But if he speaks his word, I know it's right. I can clap anyway. And I've wondered how many times people have clapped and said amen. Even though they didn't like the prophet, and they knew he was a scoundrel. But man, he started to preach that there's a mighty God and that he can walk on water and that he can heal our body and that he is a savior and a deliverer. And people got on their feet and the prophet or the preacher or the messenger thought it was about him. It was never about him. It was about the word that he was preaching. (laughs) Here's your God. For I am the Lord. Malachi 3. I change not. That's why you sons of Jacob are not burned up. (laughs) Here's 2 Timothy 2.13. If we believe not, that's fine. You can believe or not believe. He's still faithful. Because he won't deny himself. You can say yes, you can say no. But he said it, it's going to be done. This is the message. This is the word. It abides with me or without me. It's true if I'm standing here or if I'm not standing here. It lived before me. It's going to live after me. My head might be severed and my mouth might be closed. But this word is a raging river. It's going to find a way to be heard in someone's life. So for every prophet that's killed, a thousand is going to rise up. And for every prophet that hides out and huddles in a cave, 7,000 are ready to preach. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. It's never, ever going away. It's never going away. And we love the name of Jesus because there's no other name. The Bible says that God has given him a name which is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, everything's going to bow in heaven and in earth and things under the earth. I don't even know what that is. Maybe all the insects under the earth or maybe it's all the devils. Who knows? Everything's in heaven, earth, under net. And every tongue is going to confess. One day, every tongue is going to confess. I'd rather do it now. Well, well you don't make me, Lord. They're going to confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We're, we're going to say Jesus is the only one. At the name of Jesus, everything has to bow. At the name of Jesus all the demons they're trembling at the name of Jesus when you speak his name you invoke all all the attributes of our mighty God every progressive name is found in that name when you say in Jesus name everything has to stand still the angels of heaven stand up and they take attention and the blood of Jesus is invoked when you say in the name of Jesus say this with me Whatsoever. It means whatever you do. Come on, say whatever you do. Whatever you do. Here's the Bible. Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do. In word or in deed. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. That means if you're going to marry someone, you marry them in the name of Jesus. You're going to pray for your dog, your cat, your cow, your goat. You pray for them in the name of Jesus. If you're going to bury somebody, you bury them in the name of Jesus. If you're going to pray a healing, you pray in the name of Jesus. If you're going to baptize, you baptize in the name which is above every other name. 
let's get our Pentecostal experience on today. Here's Acts 4.12. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's no way that anyone can be saved without the name of Jesus. There's not another name. Neither is there any other name than the name of Jesus that can save you. And I guarantee you, if you're driving down the road this year and you hit some black ice or some snow or some, or some slick spots, you ought to just say, in Jesus' name. I ain't got time for any other doctrine. All those are long, drawn out. Our Father which art in heaven. No, in Jesus' name! <laughs> Come on, someone say in Jesus' name. Right now, in Jesus' name, you are delivered and you are healed and you are set free. In Jesus' name, we can bind every spirit. In Jesus' name, everything can be set free and let loose. In Jesus' name. Let me tell you, in Jesus' name is what I preach, it's how I live. In him, we breathe, move, we have our being in him. But I got one last scripture for you. Come on, someone say in Jesus' name. Clap your hands because you know the name. Come on, speak his name right now. Speak his name right now. Holy Jesus. Jesus, the living Christ, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, Jesus. Just stand now, stand with me. Here's my last moment here. You got to catch it. Psalm 138.2. I will worship toward thy holy temple. I'm going to praise thy name. Somebody say thy name. For thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou, uh-oh, has magnified thy word above thy name. You just got excited about the name. But he just magnified his word above his name. So go ahead and kill the messenger if you want. I'll tell you what God thinks about his word. There's no other name, but he said, I magnify the word above the name. Now to this end, I hope we strive to live what we speak. I hope we work on doing what we say and practicing what we profess. We have to work on it every day. But I never want you to get confused because there's something about the word that if it abides in me,
and I hide it in my heart, it'll keep me from sin. Young men, here pastor now, young men, how shall a young man cleanse his way? Quote it, Scotty. How could a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. You want to be right in life, young men? You get in the word and obey the word of God. You want to have a good life? Hear me, men. You get in the word and obey the word. You want to raise up a good family and have a good marriage, solid, be a man of God? You get in the word and you heed the word. And all the other distractions, you leave them behind. Amen. If you have your Bible, I want you to take it. I want you, I want you to just hold it. I want you to just hold your scripture. Hold that Bible. If you're at home, I want you to grab your Bible. And I want you to close your eyes and shut out all the other things that are surrounding you. And I want you to practice hearing the voice of the Lord. And I want you to pray that the Lord will, will have will put a love for his word inside of you. It's only the 9th of January. I want you to start reading your Bible every day. I want you to read the scripture every day. You're not behind. You're not that far behind. Just start reading the Bible every day. Come on, just say it. I love this word. Come on. Thank God for the scripture. The message never fails. Word of God speak. Won't you fall down like a rain? Washing my eyes to see. Your majesty to be still and know that you're in this place. Please let me stay at rest in your holiness. Word of God speak, fall down like rain, washing my eyes to see your majesty to be still and know that you're in this place please let me stay and rest in your holiness yes this altar is open for anyone who wants to come and just bring their bible just come and bring your bible and just hold it up to the lord just say lord i Help me to love this message. I want to love this word. That's right. Come on. Come on. I want to love this word like I've never loved it before. Whatever you're reading, bring that. If your Bible app, just just bring it on. Bring it. Yes. Yes. 
word of God speak. Won't you fall down like a rain, washing my eyes to see your majesty to be still and know that you're in this place. Please let me stay and rest in your holiness. Word of God, speak. Won't you fall down like a rain, washing my eyes to see your majesty to be still and know that you're in this place. I love you. Yes. 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 Here's what I want you to do, saints. Put your Bible on your kitchen table. Put your Bible on your kitchen table. Bring your Bible to work. Put it in your car. When you're reading the Scripture, you're spending time with God. And when you're reading the Scripture, especially if you're memorizing Scripture, it washes your mind. The Bible says we're washed by the water of the Word. You give your body a bath or a shower. Give your mind a bath. By reading the Word, it'll cleanse you. Start your day. David said, early will I seek thee. In the morning, this was Brother Heiss, his instruction to me and to the church for years. Seek him early. Brother Heiss said, it starts us out on the right foot when we seek the Lord early in the morning. Let the first thing that we do in the morning is the scripture. Because it orders your day. Before you go to work, before you go to school, get up five minutes early and get to the table and open up your Bible and read. Read some verses and scriptures. It'll help your life. It, it brings something to you. And that's how God can speak to you in the day. He speaks to you through his already written word. Amen. 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 Everybody said amen. Children, babies ought to learn the scripture. Everybody ought to learn the scripture. Amen. I love you. I want, before you leave here, uh, we're, we're just going to have a prayer time. Uh, I just feel like maybe, maybe there is room for a little prayer time. So I know, the, I know what time it is, so I apologize for all the children and the Sunday school teachers, but we're just going to have a little prayer time. So you might have to reach across and put your hand on your neighbor and just pray for them. Pray for them that they'll never give up on truth or the gospel or the message or the doctrine pray that pray that they'll never give up on the doctrine and that the doctrine will be premier